thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. It's time to kick your shoes off, put your heels up, and listen to how to live your best barefoot lifestyle with your host, the barefoot podiatrist, Paul Thompson. All right, welcome back to the Barefoot Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Thompson, the Barefoot Podiatrist, and I'm sitting here live in person today with the founder of Origins of Vitality. So I'm really excited to uh, dig right in and have a chat to the man, Dom Rapson, about um, what he does with ancestral nutrition and calisthenics coaching. So this will be a really exciting episode. There should be heaps of golden nuggets that you can take away, not only with movement, but also nutrition. So I'm expecting this to be pretty jam-packed. So sit down, get comfy, and uh, soak this one up. Welcome, Dom. Good to be sitting here with you. Cheers, mate. It's been a long time uh, since we last met last year, right? And we were like, yeah, we should sit down and talk. <laughs> and uh, two very busy guys. That's and, right. Uh, we're finally sitting here face-to-face ready to do this. So thanks for having me. No, thanks for being here. So to get us kicked off, how about you just let us know who you are, what you do, like what is ancestral nutrition, what's calisthenics, just give us a rundown of what you do, who you are. <laughs> All right, fair. So yeah, started more on the movement side, uh, was a bodybuilder before, but then uh, found that I wasn't feeling too good, mostly from the nutrition, but also the movement wasn't uh, doing much good for my longevity. So Origins of Vitality and myself started on the search for longevity and performance, the most basic and ancestral way that we've used to get here as a human race. So calisthenics, body weight, all strength movements. I do a lot of parkour and tricking as well within that. So very strenuous exercise on the ligaments, the connective tissues, and obviously the muscles. And it's been an incredible journey testing the full strength of my body through calisthenics. But the nutrition side was, well, how can I keep this up for as long as possible? Well, how am I going to be doing this consistently? And I found the nutrition played a big role. In order for me to facilitate such strenuous exercise and good muscle health, I needed to eat in kind of what our ancestors did, you know. They were very robust people, free of modern disease, and that's the path I went down. Yeah, it's funny. I can imagine you need to be pretty robust with what you do. Um, if you don't follow Dom on Instagram, you should. There was a post you put up recently where you jumped off essentially a two-story building. Oh, <laughs> the problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, in vivo, so in barefoot shoes, like what you put your body through with, you know, the parkour type stuff is insane. So, yeah, you obviously need to be like hugely robust. Um, and have your tendons and muscles and everything firing really well um, for that. So how do you, like, with calisthenics, how do you get started in that? (laughs) How do you go from bodybuilding to essentially wanting to jump off buildings? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, (laughs) the jump off building just has me laughing. (laughs) It's such a funny thought, isn't it, for those who see it? But... um, yeah, that was quite a fun one. The, uh, the, I, I like doing uh, front flips and uh, side flips and stuff down uh, down big gaps and uh, testing my body's uh, strength. But calisthenics, how do you get started with that? Um, you just get bored of lifting weights mindlessly and you go into something that really tests your nervous system. It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of repetition. But the repetition kind of gives you... I don't know, it's like this joy that you're consistently um, getting stronger in your mind, keep executing something that is not easy and that takes so many months to years to see a huge difference. And when you get hooked on not the end result, but going through that path and being strong-minded enough to build up, because it's not something like building muscle. Yes, you build muscle with it, but you're working mostly on your connective tissue, which takes a long time mm. to adapt. Mm. So it's that... It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty challenging. You're constantly having to strain them and do the right regressions. Sometimes you go forward and then you take 10 steps back because your body tells you you have to. So you then have to preoccupy yourself doing the little things and then you realize in five months, oh, I have the movement. Hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a pretty crazy journey. Anybody who gets into gymnastics or calisthenics 
And it really, it's something that I found has applied to other areas of my life. So it's given my body the resilience to take impact. It's given me strength to move my body around the natural environments. Mm. As before, I was just this bulky mass, you know, I just didn't, couldn't even touch my own back. Yeah, right. <laughs> really? Yeah. So just to break it down, like you touched on it before what it is, but just for those who don't know what calisthenics is or, I mean, you kind of touched on it then with gymnastics, um, can you just give us a real simple breakdown of what calisthenics and even what parkour is just for the people that don't yeah. know what that is or haven't seen it, just give them a bit of a visual, like an image of, you know, what that looks like with, right. your, with your training and then your, your free running and stuff. Okay. So just... Um I guess to put it in a nutshell, so it originates from the first Olympians, which you may know as the Greeks, and kalisthenos, which is their word for beauty and strength. So the Greeks, um, I really like the Greek. I studied a lot of Greek philosophy and uh, Greek nutrition protocols and their movements. Um, they were probably one of the first fittest um, civilizations. Uh, well, the Romans were as well, but the Greeks definitely one of the first. And they were just very fond of the human being testing its potential. So like Hippocrates would say, it is a waste of a man to not find and search for his true strength potential. So he says it in a different way. I kind of didn't put that as clearly as he said it. But, um, sounds good though. Sounds, sounds, <laughs> sounded all right. <laughs> but um, so yeah, it was all about uh, searching for the most athleticism in the human being. So to the point that they were always prided of themselves on their appearance aesthetically, but also their strength, which they started the Olympic Games. Yeah. And calisthenics is kind of now formed from back in those days, they didn't have weight machines, didn't have gyms like that. It was all the natural environment and bodyweight training. Yes, they used a few stones and things like that, mm. but mostly um, they used their body, high repetition, lots of time under tension and developed their strength like that rather than focusing on the muscle belly and building the muscle tissue up they naturally became robust through obviously a very rich in a meat diet obviously when the romans came in after trading with the egyptians grains started to infiltrate and now we see that most of them are actually quite obese unfortunately but back in those days they prided themselves on the fitness of um, their body weight movements and the health through nutrition and they had a lot of holistic doctors so it stems from that, but parkour and free running then is very modern. Yeah. So obviously people will say that it was uh, originated from France as a way to get around people doing off building tops and such, but now it's become more of a sport where people are introducing more variables to it, such as calisthenics elements of strength, being able to climb, be able to spin around a bar, but then a lot of flips from gymnastics as well, because it's all about show really. Mm. So we have parkour, which is getting A to B the most efficient and over crazy terrain like building tops rails things like that mm. and then the free running side which is actually what i enjoy the most is like chucking yourself off in the prettiest way down stuff yes without killing yourself and i guess like yeah, yeah, that's probably the key point it's <laughs> a good goal to have um so with i mean you said you do it in like, you know, a pretty way but there's obviously it's pretty high risk and you know there's a lot there's a lot going on there's like a lot of fast movements change of directions you obviously need to move really well to be able to do that at the level you do um and have good technique how do you or do you um train like movement as opposed to just like building muscle like i know some of your calisthenics training is around that like gymnastics there's movement involved but do you put any sort of training or focus in around movement patterns as well? Is that something you do? or Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's the thing about it. There's so many small components, which is really interesting sitting here with you as well, um, getting to look at how the feet and the ankle moves as well, because uh, especially more, not so much the calisthenic side, but the free running and parkour side, um, if you don't have the appropriate uh, mobility and the strength behind that mobility, you're going to wreck yourself and you're going to be getting injured. When I first started and I wasn't aware of this and I was just wearing like your your typical like Adidas, Ultra Boost, cushions, you know, because you'd feel the impact after a while and it'd get painful. But little did you know that you actually have to strengthen in your feet, you'd strengthen your ligaments in your feet in order to take the impact, which is now I'm doing it all in Vivos. Mm. But before, like my feet would hurt after a while and I didn't think, oh, I have to strengthen my feet up 
I thought, oh, I'll just get better shoes, mm. which is just, it was quite ignorant at the time. Yeah. But now just how I treat all of my body, if I'm going to be doing like a calisthenics movement, say like a muscle up, most people would have heard of that or a front lever, which is a lot of strain in the arm tendons and through the shoulder. Mm. You can't just buy a guard for them or, or put a, a wrap around on like a shoe. You have to actually work at the little ligaments and muscles and make them stronger. Yeah. So that's uh, the main thing about it. So when it came to the free running parkour, I was saying, okay, well, I've got to get in the gym. I've got to do more barefoot stuff. I've got to do more balancing on my feet. I've got to do kind of like a, a jumping off a box and loading my feet and taking the impact and learning how to absorb the impact better. Mm. And from that, I got stronger and stronger. And the more I focused on that, obviously, the grander my jumps would be, the more impact and height I could drop off, and the longer I could go before I started falling into bad patterns that would cause injury. And you're wearing Vivos. And I'm wearing Vivos, which... So you've uh, actually reduced the support of your shoe, reduced the cushioning of your shoe, but now jumping and landing of higher things than you've ever yeah, done before. Yeah, crazy, yeah. So I guess one thing we could, well, I can take from this... Um, is for like you know the general public like because what dom does is extreme right like not everyone's gonna be running around jumping off no, two sorry <laughs> buildings right and flipping off things but one of the big things i hear from people online or even clients is that it's kind of hard to understand why we don't need cushioning and things so you know even just as simple as playing basketball or um, running around with your kids like whatever it is that's your thing um, like even anything where you have to kind of jump, land, change direction. Like a big takeaway from what Dom's saying is it's not so much relying on more cushioning or support or braces. It's learning to move better and being able to absorb that impact or, you know, create that load with your own tendons, muscles, ligaments. Yeah. Um, which, again, like on a parkour type scale, it's essentially life or death. Like you don't absorb that impact properly. You're, You're going to get really hurt, yeah, 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 right? On a day-to-day scale, you may not feel, you know, that landing in basketball or running after your kid, whatever it is, you may not feel that as much, the impact, but it's still there. It builds up so all the time, right? Yeah. And then when you get that injury, you're kind of confused as to why because you had the good shoes or whatever, but you're still not absorbing that impact well. So, learning to absorb impact is a huge thing, so... You know, maybe looking at something like some calisthenics training into your gym regime or you know, even on a, a much smaller scale, it doesn't have to be, you know, preparing for... Like for a comp or anything. Yeah, crazy, or jumping yeah. between buildings or whatever it is. It could be just applying some of those principles, um, you know, and, and Dom does coaching in this area. I'm sure he can scale it back for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely <laughs> you know, scale, it's not like, yeah. okay, step one, here's that building. I want you to land you on go. that. All mental, just focus. <laughs> just do it, just do it. It's easy. <laughs> Watch me, I'll show you. Um, but yeah, I'm sure you can use these principles um, to help in, yeah, lots of areas in our life because it's a, what I see in clinic, it's a big part. It's missing in our consciousness, in our, in our training. We, yeah. we focus on that building you know, that one muscle or... Yeah, it's just mindless and it's all either yeah. aesthetic because of society. Yeah, but it's all really controlled. Yeah, you know? that's the Where thing. It's, it's one, one motion in one linear phase, yeah. right? Yeah. Even running essentially is one, yeah. you know, motion. Just yeah, frontal the ground might right, move, yeah. but if something pops out in front of you to change direction or there is a, a change in the ground you're not ready for, being able to react to that and absorb that impact is what's going to save, you know, potentially a... a pretty nasty sprain or broken bone or whatever that's that's one thing i definitely find um since changing my nutrition and also changing my focus on specific movements and taking away the cushioned shoes uh since that time with all of those factors put together my jump is even higher so i'm now jumping 127 inches which is uh what like just over 10 and a half feet so that's like an nba basketball so you could jump over. So you could I jump over me. I could probably jump over. Yeah. <laughs> Let's try that. <laughs> Let's Let's try. We're gonna have to video that one right after. Um, but yeah, my absorption is much more. Um, the f- when I do get an injury, I realize that wow, if I hadn't built this up and my nutrition wasn't on point, it would solidify my connective tissue. I probably would have broken something. I would have like ripped a ligament and been off more than just a few days. And that's mm. something I really take into account. I'm like, wow, if that was just me a few years ago, an average person that. And when I mean average, somebody that doesn't focus very athletically on themselves, they would have like 
bust some stuff pretty bad. But mm. I'm actually, my ligaments managed to rebound. It's just tightened up now to protect. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's huge. The difference is. So I'm chomping at the bit to talk about feet, but let's, let's go down nutrition path because it's a huge part of what you do. Why is no nutrition? Or what have you learned from them? What's ancestral nutrition? Let's go there. Oh, let's go that way. Okay. And then, and then, why is it so important that we use these ancestral principles for movement health? Like, you know, for yeah. your, your parkour and oh, yeah. even the day to day person. Like, Just why is it so important? Just from modern day stresses and such. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, start with ancestral nutrition is tying in anthropology, biochemistry, and physiology. What I was looking at, I spent time with various different tribes along my uh, studies in nutrition. I also experienced various different relationships to food, such as uh, the bodybuilding style, six meals a day. Didn't feel good. I was also vegan for two years. I went down a spiritual path where I stopped hunting altogether and found that that didn't work either. And then I went down nutritional ketosis where I was working with degenerative illnesses in clients and achieving great results. But... In my own selfish pursuit, that wasn't enough. I found it was a good state of regeneration and rejuvenation. But for actual performance, as somebody who trains twice a day every single day, it was not satisfactory. So then it led me down the carnival route where I'm going into my third year carnival now where I only eat uh, animal products. And the ancestral part of that was how the development of the human brain and the human tissue, when we were uh, our biggest brain size and most robust human tissue where we were able to deal with pain on a much larger scale and we could rebound from injuries uh, was much higher and so I started tying in a lot of the development and then doing the biochemistry behind the development and the fat soluble nutrients in the animal products we eat and I decided to experiment myself and my partner and over the two years of removing all of the plant matter and being carnival and understanding the biochemistry as to what it's doing in the body why we don't fall deficient why do we actually improve our strength and our connective tissue and muscle grows at a much better rate <clears throat> it was really fascinating it, it swallowed me whole and now it's what i prescribe to uh, to most people so tying that in it's it's allowed us to see that fat soluble nutrients is all we need and complete essential amino acids and fat completes the development of all of the tissues in the body but not just getting by actually making them thrive which is now like i don't feel much soreness after training i recover extremely quickly and i do injury protocols so i worked with uh, a kickboxer who had uh, two hip surgeries at 23 and uh you should check this guy out he's called janice um and he's the belgian champion at the moment hmm. so he had both hips uh surgically replaced and the doctor said he'd be out for about six months within three months he was fully recovered and then four months later he fought again on a professional level yeah yeah he's an he's an animal but this then was giving me even more proof so now i do these ancestral um, protocols not only on myself but on loads of different uh athletes and we notice that whenever we get injuries by silly mistakes in training because it's bound to happen when you're consistently doing it something's going to fatigue at some point hmm. we found that we can bounce right back and we can go deep into the science side. I'm not sure how deep you want to go down this rabbit hole. Give us some. Bring Give it. Give us some. All right. So a lot of the biochemistry behind this, um, if we talk about plant nutrients, okay, people talk about phytonutrients and we've been led to believe that they're highly beneficial. Now, they can be beneficial and neutral in a lot of the population. But what we're seeing is in that also in a lot of the population is that they're, they're very disturbing to the body. So they contain groups of anti-nutrients that do different things in different areas of the body. The one that I'll probably cite most now is oxalates. When people remove, and I've had people that were going to go in for soldier surgery, wrist surgery, elbow issues, that would just have this nagging pain. It's always sore, always pain. They always feel like they have a, uh, a ligament issue or a tendonitis of some sort. But it's actually these oxalates from these plants, which are mostly cruciferous, leafy greens, some starches have them as well. They bind to parts of the body and actually put the body in the stress. So they raise the inflammation of the body and they bind to the calcium in the body as well. And then they become this crystal that's very sharp. And usually this lodges in joints and creates like an arthritis-like feeling. But it's actually just oxalate dumping in the body. And this comes only from plants. 
as meat contains no antinutrients. Because if you think about animals, they can either run away or they can bite us back or poison us back, right? Yeah. So most of them is to run away or fight us. That's what an animal does. But a plant can't bite us and can't run away, can't fight us, right? Mm-hmm. So they develop certain um, anti-nutrients that stop the animals from overeating them or us eating them in order for them to survive. Because like any living thing, it wants to procreate, it wants to extend its longevity, and it wants to keep breeding, right? Yeah. And so these are defensive chemicals they're made, like such as phytates, uh, guitrogens, these things that they can severely leach from the human body. And that leaching process is not something you feel in a day. It takes maybe, for most people, many years of buildup, especially if you're eating an exclusively plant-based diet. But most omnivores that are eating meat, loads of processed crap as well, and eating all these vegetables when they think they're being healthy, this is building up over many years and leaching minerals and vitamins from their body and lodging into their joints and causing them pain. Which is crazy, right? Because it sounds... Well, it's, it's the complete opposite of what we're told. Yeah, exactly, right? yeah. So, is that all plant-based foods will do that to a certain extent? Pretty much all of them have anti-nutrient properties. For example, like nuts and seeds. So, if I lead back to the clients I was telling you with these issues, once we remove the leafy greens, like people were drinking like green raw juices. Yeah. Raw juices are one of the worst things because it's just pure amounts of these oxalates and phytates. And phytic acid, like the, the seeds, nuts, and roots of the plant are the most protective. It wants that to pass through. Whether the, like nuts and seeds are meant to be eaten by an animal but not crunched and digested. It's meant to pass through their channel in their fecal matter, land in the soil and have all of this fecal matter to start its growth, all of the nutrients. But when we humans come along and eat it, we're breaking it down and releasing these phytates that are made to protect it in order to grow. And these phytates come in and directly leach and wreak havoc in our digestive tract. Mm. So a lot of people, like they say 98% of the population has permeable guts. And that's because they're eating a lot of fiber with these anti-nutrients that are separating the linings of their intestines, causing a direct histamine reaction as things leach, leak into the blood. And the phytates are binding. So like, for example, if you're to eat, let's say, a steak or a lamb shank, and you have um, some seeds of sort from different plants, or you had like some bread, which we already know about gluten. Mm-hmm. Gluten's highly inflammatory in Everyone. the whole population. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, for example, something like that, the phytates, and even some of the oxalates, will leach up to 60% of the fat-soluble nutrients in the fat that you're trying to eat from the animal, and so you don't absorb most of it. Yeah, right. So you see how you become deficient. Yeah. Therefore, your tissues don't rebuild as much because they're not getting the full what amount. They yeah. Because you need to bind these together in order to, well, defecate or excrete yeah. these waste products that are just leaching from you. Hmm. Or they do it anyway and then come out. So it's it's pretty crazy. Our ancestors would use, I'm not saying our ancestors were fully carnivores, some were for certain periods of time, um, but they knew this. Even without the test tubes, they knew this. Even so there's the research, there's research around. There's research around this as well. Right? Yeah, we can put in some links, I guess. In the yeah, I'd love to. Want to I'm sure people well. are gonna. Yeah, people lose their shit over this Which you know, and whatever. Like, if you have beliefs, or you know, like, go with it. Dom's just here to. Yeah, do what don't, you want. Don't shoot the messenger. But this is just something you may want to look at. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's, and I know I've spoken to Dom, you know, before a few times, and. Um, he's really passionate about the nutrition. He's really well researched in this. So I'll put some links in that, that Dom will um, give me. Go through and have a look because the more info you can collect and, you know, make your own informed decision. But yeah, like, yeah, it gets it's really, uh, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. So it's really yeah, deep. So the, <laughs> yeah, right. So the over the period of time of humans, you know how we, we learn to adapt to things. Yeah. We haven't learned to adapt to those stresses from plant-based foods. It's not that we haven't learned to adapt. I mean, we're... We can't. <laughs> well, it's, maybe we can, but it's too early right now. I mean, if you think of most of these plants that you eat or that you buy from the supermarket, they've only been around just over 12,000 years. So we made them. They're not natural. You can't go out into nature and find a broccoli or asparagus or most of the fruits that you eat because we made them over the agrarian revolution. We hybridized them from a mustard seed plant. So a lot of these are genetic changes from a weed plant 
And really? we made, yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> most of the foods you find in the supermarket, the peppers, the onions, the way they look now and the way they are now and how bountiful they are now and how palatable they are now do not exist in nature. Animals did not eat them and you cannot find them. This is why it's funny that without a supermarket or the intervention of man, if you're in the wild, you would never be able to eat this way. You would never find those foods and you would never have the abundance to eat a predominantly plant-based diet. Yeah. So it's only because we're now in this so-called civilization where we have abundance and we have people taking care of the genetics of these plants that they are around us and that we're able to eat them. We've gradually made them more palatable. But so they're sweeter to try and trick our brain into... Sweeter as well, bigger, more beautiful looking, things like that. Um, yeah. But if you look at the paper, even though this paper, the, the researchers behind it still had the idea that some was helpful like some vegetables and phytonutrients are helpful to the body, they still notice that a lot of these phytonutrients actually cause cancer as well. Which is why a lot of vegans and vegetarians still fall ill to cancer, stroke and heart disease, but it's just not talked about often. But I know quite a few doctors, that are vegan doctors that have fallen ill to diseases that only, well, meat eaters as they call them, even though they're just omnivores, eating a load of crap, smoking cigarettes, drinking, whatnot. But um, sorry, to the point. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were passionate. passionate. <laughs> but um, yeah, to the point, um, these um, anti-nutrients, 99.99% of pesticides are natural from the plant. You want to know a crazy one? This one will get you. You like your coffee, right? We spoke about it the other day. Yeah, don't, don't, don't ruin this. Don't mess don't ruin I'm going to be the most hated guy on your podcast yeah, especially in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong. I like a coffee too, guys. So don't kill Don't shoot the messenger. Um, coffee, the main toxin is caffeine. We use it as a stimulant and as a superior, like, well, a superfood or a health food, right? But the caffeine is actually the anti-nutrient. What the caffeine is supposed to do is animals with a smaller brain, such as like ruminants or rodents and stuff, they eat the bean, they get stressed out by the caffeine releasing all of the cortisol in here. The caffeine is a damper on short-term memory. And they forget, they don't, first of all, they don't like the reaction, and then they forget the orientation of where that plant is, and, and they don't go back to eat it. So when they forget that orientation from the caffeine, the caffeine, the, the coffee plant saves itself and is able to live another day without an animal constantly coming back, remembering mm. to eat it. And we use this as a stimulant. And, but this releases up to 17 hours more of cortisol, which is a highly stressed state. And so you're adding 17 minutes to every normal minute of life. That's an extreme aging. And that's what coffee does. And people are drinking two, three of this a day thinking it's a superfood. Or health food that, you know, helps your blood and your liver. But, yeah, it's not ideal. Can I unblock my ears yet? <laughs> <laughs> Did he ruin coffee first? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. There's uh, so many little anti-nutrients like that that people want to use as homesis. But homesis is more on the level of like a toxin or a virus or a bacteria in your body. So, like most people probably disagree, but it's healthy to get a virus or a bacteria here and there because your body then produces mucus. Mucus is the first line of defense in your body, intestinally and in your nasal um, sinus passageways. To clear it all. To clear it all. And it's a good response to the body. It helps adaptation. So that's a homesis. But um, plant nutrients doesn't give us that type of homesis. They just literally steal from the body mm. over and over again. And that's why like most vegetarian and vegans, it takes them about 10 sometimes 15 years before they start to malnourish, run their bone marrow and amino acid stores dry. And then these nutrients just wreak havoc. And most of them come to me with like loads of digestive issues. And back to one of the main topics here, their movement deteriorates because their joints are inflamed, their connected tissues are weak mm. and their movement pattern just crumbles. Yeah, so, which yeah. is huge, right? Yeah. Wow. So then for, the, for those who you know, think or believe or, or question that, you know, like there's, there's a lot of vegan shows out at the moment bagging meat eaters. Yeah. <laughs> so why or how, why should we be just simply eating meat? So we can get all these nutrients from meat, but without the, the leaching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to put it simply, without going too biochemical on people as well, because they're like, oh, I don't want to listen to this guy. This guy's just <laughs> waffling on. One single thing, there is no essential carbohydrate on this planet. So there's not one carbohydrate on this planet that is required for us to eat 
in order to get the nutrients for homeostasis that the body functions at. But meat, the, what the animal has done, it has fermented all of these phytonutrients through a four-compartment stomach or a hindgut with trillions of bacteria, and it's extracted the saturated fat out of the cellulose for cholesterol. Now, we can't do that with plant matter. We only have a 2% capacity. But cows and gorillas, they're actually on a high-fat diet, even though you see them only eating grass. Because the biochemistry behind it is that they're fermenting saturated fat out of the cellulose. They're able to do that through fermentation of four-compartment stomachs or high-in-spiral guts. But we cannot. So what we do is we use these animals because all that they've done is they put those phytonutrients into direct assimilable components that we need in their fat. So when you're eating fatty meat alone and organs, which actually we're starting to see that you don't even need, you are getting every single aspect of nutrition that is required by your body to create energy, clean your mitochondria, methylate with the liver, and keep the brain active. So you said we don't need to eat organ meat? We do. No, we actually don't. Oh, yeah, so there's, there's a thing. Some, yeah, some people can't stop with that. Some tribes I spent with, um, like let's say uh, some of the desert tribes, like the Bedouin, for example, or more the African tribes, they actually threw the organs to the dogs and ate all of the fatty meat. That's what they prized. But then some tribes as well where meat didn't come as often so they weren't herding their own cattle or they were hunting, the whole animal was eaten because they didn't know the next time. So their fallback foods were plant foods. Not to say that we didn't have them in our evolution. There are natural plants that we used to eat. But if you look at the natural plants and foods we used to eat, they look nothing like the foods we have at the supermarket. They're completely different. And what we used to do is we used to leach them in, in, in rivers for two days to get all of the oxalates and phytates out like the aboriginals do with um, cassava-like roots. They bag them up, put them in the river, let all the oxalates leach out, and then they cook it with animal fat in order to break it down even more and let the fat be able to assimilate the rest of the nutrients from that particular plant. So they're very clever. So it's easier to absorb. You need the fat. If you're going to eat vegetables, I'm not saying everyone shouldn't eat them. If you like certain textures and tastes and you don't want life to be boring, for me, all I want every day is a steak. I'm never bored of it. But for some people, you know, in a family and they want to cook different meals and stuff, make sure that you're not eating them raw and make sure you're cooking them with animal fat. So that's like ghee, butter, lard, um, beef dripping. Obviously, butter, you're adding vitamin A, D, and K to your meals. And like beef dripping, you're adding vitamin E. So it's a nice add-on to Mm. your vegetables. And for the coffee lovers, I know we've spoken before about ways to make coffee a little bit better. Yeah. That's similar, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, similar. Adding in... Adding in the fats. fats, yeah, yeah. Adding the animal fats, or for some people, like the coconut oil. Yeah. But I wouldn't say coconut oil is too ideal. There are some tribes, like the Samoans and such, that had a lot more, like 60% of their diet was fish and coconut. But if you add the animal fats to the coffee, as we said um, earlier, coffee is acidic because it has amino acids in it. Therefore, you can bind to that and make the coffee actually digest over a period of time mm. and therefore slows down the rate and release of the caffeine. And allows you to not have to have another one because it's much so, and it feels like a meal. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So we can still have coffee. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> there we go. Green light. <laughs> That's right. I like you again. <laughs> All right. So with the tribe, that's really interesting. So you went and lived with some like, yeah. still like, tribes that live in a natural... Natural environment like, for a week at a time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I'm just interested now. I'm going to get selfish. <laughs> they, wear, they wear shoes? No, actually. That's quite funny. Yeah, they don't wear shoes. No? It's not, that's, that's, the, that's the first time I've been asked that. So, to me a little bit. That's, right. that's my thing. <laughs> that's <just> thing. <laughs> no, they didn't wear shoes. Um, if you look at pictures of the Bedouin now, yeah, they still don't wear shoes. So, no yeah. foot coverings at all? Not, not that I remember. Not that no. I remember specifically, no. I think some of the guys on horseback had a little bit of like leather kind of shoes on them. Yeah. But don't, yeah, I don't really remember that. I think, I'm not sure if they so were no better. They were around. <laughs> yeah, no no joggers or crazy hiking boots. Or no Yeezys. No, no Yeezys. <laughs> <laughs> no, none of that. All right, so then I don't know whether you paid attention. Again, still being selfish. How do they move? Do they have like joint issues, foot issues? Do they have podiatrists as part of their tribe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they're extremely hardy people. 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of the elders who were in their late 60s, 70s, and they were very hardy. We did a six-day dry fast together. They do that um, quite often in the desert. And um, within that, I mean, these people were fasted, and they were still tending to their goats and their camels and, uh, like, patching up and building their tents and cooking, um, not cooking, um, preparing, like, the flatbreads for like, the women and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, they all moved extremely well. None of them were hunched over. None of them were limping. So I'm guessing they didn't have, like, chairs, beds. No, no chairs. We had beds, but not probably what you're thinking as a bed. It was more like um, layers of, like, this uh, carpet with some cushions, and that's about it. On the floor? On the floor, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah. I remember speaking to a, um, a lady years ago who... Remember, never, I think it was Samoa that her family was from. Uh-huh. It was one of the islands, anyway. It was essentially, you know, a tribe where they still had, you know, sets on the floor, no chairs. And I remember she was saying like how her grandmother was like almost in her nineties from memory or late eighties, and you could still be up and down off the ground. Right. And had no foot issues, no joint issues. She was no. just, you know, like still as far as movement goes compared to what we see with. Yeah, our elderly population can like worlds apart. Worlds apart. Yeah, it's yeah. funny you say that actually because um, there's a report. Um, most centenarians, the one thing they had in common is that they all were very active, and they all ate a lot of meat. Who were the centenarians? Um, people that lived over a hundred. So like, oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, all of the reports that we find, and I mean, the, we, I could dismantle the whole blue zone thing because that's how, like a whole other argument. Yeah, that was like cherry picked data, even though the town's nearby were full of old people that were eating loads more meat and stuff. And then those little towns they went to, it just happened to be that a lot of the people from the neighboring town all moved there. That's why there was a higher percentage of old people there. Yeah. That's a whole nother subject. But yeah. these people had a very high fat diet. Like a lot of them were just eating like bacon and eggs every day and a um, little bit of olive oil, a little bit of wine, and they were eating a lot of lamb and fish. Yeah. But they moved a lot. And even past 100 their mind, their memory, everything was perfectly intact. Their body obviously quite frail, mm. but these people were so robust for their age. It's funny, right? When you think, it makes sense, you know, if you're getting getting up and down off the ground, you're using a lot of muscles, like getting down eccentrically, um, you know, getting up takes a lot of effort, a lot of range of motion. So to be doing that day in, day out kind of makes sense. That yeah. You are going to keep things working better. You better you lose it, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. All right, so so tribes don't wear shoes. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That one's like over seven years. There's a lot of experience there in that one. So seven my, years with tribes? Seven years of my whole time now um, studying nutrition. So within that, the tribal stuff. And I still want to do more. Like um, we spent time, now that I'm based in Bali, uh, we traveled to Sumba and it's still very primal there. Yeah. Yeah, like the, the people still walk around with like water buffalo riding horses completely bareback, no shoes, um, spears and machetes. It's really cool. If you ever get a chance to go to Sumba, it's at the Forgotten Gem of Indonesia. And um yeah, those people, none of them wore shoes. They all ate like boar and buffalo, all ate a lot of meat. And um yeah, we when we drove past their houses and their little shacks, it's literally like uh, it's raised off the ground slightly and it's all like bamboo in different woods and the whole family sleeps on the floor together and then they have like another bit on top where they have like storage and stuff but they all sleep on one floor together it's like flat on the floor with the dogs and everything just outside and that's how they are and they're probably super happy yes super happy yeah. so then do they i mean i probably know got an inkling to what the answer will be but they do they train like as in you know, they obviously don't go to a gym, but yeah. is there something within that tribe for fitness or is it just day-to-day movement and, like, how do they keep yeah. fit? What's the movement regime around? Just like the tribes out of uh, Brazil as well, they they just move a lot. I mean, they do a lot of um, chores to look after their animals, but a lot of them, their sport is horses. So I think it's every February. I missed it when I when I went. I went a few months after because a mate told me he's like, "You've got to go. It's wild." I was like spear fishing and surfing in like miles of ocean beach with no one around. Every time you get on the boat, it's just dolphins and yeah. beautiful. Like, but then we'd see some of the tribes and uh, they have like an annual uh, festival where they race their horses. So they're big into horse racing, training horses, 
And while they're on the horses, they're throwing spears and catching each other's spears and stuff. Like that. So it's just natural movements and stuff, you know, and a little bit of sport and culture there. Or actually, when we were coming out of the airport, it was like a two-hour drive to get to the camp where we were staying at. And we drove past what seemed to be like a little school, and it had about five boys climbing up this steep, I mean, just this pole. It was just a wooden pole, and they were climbing to, to get to the top. But like just around Paul, nothing yeah. to hold on to. So I guess like you see, like that's that's their fitness. Like they just do crazy yeah, stuff like sure. that. Yeah. I guess like kids here. If we left kids to do their own thing, they come up with their own games and sports. Yeah. And, you know, challenge each other. Um, but then I guess society takes over and you know that puts that down. Stops like that. It's dangerous or you know whatever. But yeah, they don't they don't give a shit. They're just climbing this yeah. stuff, riding horses. But I don't even know the name of the sports are, but. I hope that gives you a general idea of how much they move and how wild it is. But to them, it's probably not wild. It's yeah, probably more wild probably. because it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're, you know, in a bubble. <laughs> so let's talk about feet. You know, I know you have a passion for feet as well. It's a yeah. huge part of what you need to be strong for your you know, sports and health. Why are feet so important to you? You know, do you train them? Let's, let's talk about feet. Um, training them, I've only been getting this knowledge a bit more because it's such a, it seems to be like a niche and there's so much information and there's so much also, like nutrition, there's so many like antagonists about a side, you know, like somebody, if you say, oh, we're barefoot, like, no, you need to support the arch here and blah, blah, blah. And in sport, it seems to be the same. You can't do a specific sport without the, the specific shoe, you know, mm. and that's what they sell. Like there's so much... Uh, marketing and that and like oh if you're gonna play football you need this kind of shoe oh if you're gonna play that other kind of football then you need and golf and you know everything and i kind of fell into that um during the free running side and the calisthenics and it was all about style but then i got approached um by vivo with a friend of mine um after a bali trip actually mm. and i was like i really want to get more into uh exploring this barefoot stuff so i was running a lot as well at the time so i was wearing the vibrams yeah, five fingers mm-hmm. and from that my feet got really strong and I found I was running like long distances I even did a full marathon in Vibrams which I tested one of my nutrition protocols where I fasted for 30 hours and then ran a full marathon with no food no gels no sugar nothing and just a small bottle of water in 32 degree heat and really? I finished it in just under five hours I'm not the best runner I'm not going to lie to you like I finished it in two hours no but <laughs> I finished it pain free in my feet pain free in my calves and literally four hours after the run, my knees started to feel a little bit off. But then I woke up the next day as if I hadn't even ran. So that's how much the elasticity and the functioning of my feet got better just from wearing them. That's and crazy. then, yeah, it was mad. <laughs> and then um, I started wearing the, the Vivos because obviously they're just a good looking shoe. Yeah. So they fitted the style. The flat sore, I like that my, my uh, toes could move, but they weren't like separated and out for people to see. Yeah. And from wearing that, and then um, at first feeling a little bit off with them and then downing them a little bit because I was doing a lot of free running in them. And after a few like acrobatic flips on concrete or running around, with Philan Parkour, you, you need to catch the edge of like a ledge or whatever you're jumping to in order to soak the landing. It's called a precision mm-hmm. where you can jump across something and land still on the spot. Yeah. And I was a bit iffy about doing that environment, but then the more I then started uh, focusing and practicing smaller versions of it in the uh, vi- in the uh, Vivos and then working my calf, doing more of my explosive lifts and squats, barefoot completely, not even wearing shoes, mm-hmm. I started to find that, yeah, my joints started to adjust really quickly to the yeah. point where it doesn't feel it at all. So another takeaway there is progress slowly, right? Yeah, progressive load. A lot of people yeah. from, like, and again, may not be like athlete, um, or you know, professional sort of level, but jump into these barefoot shoes will still keep doing the same sort of runs they've been doing. I wonder why. Yeah, didn't they get sued the for that? They did. Yeah, yeah. But they, they had some. They're wording in some advertisements. Yeah, I was like, we make your feet stronger. It's yeah, like, we do, but not in a week. <laughs> no, and the other thing is, it's not the shoe. So even with what Dom was doing, right? It's not the shoe that fixed him. To put him in a, a a better position to be able to strengthen his feet. Yeah. But the key word before was you, you know, started small, 
build up that calf strength. Yeah, I agree. Oh, and I was forced to. The shoes forced me to. Right? I tried and I was like, oh, this is not funky, too right? Good. So I had to actually readjust my technique in the sport itself. Mm. So you've got to get your body precise. You've got to get your body ready and, and, and back to a natural, you know, functioning way yeah. to get the most out of the shoe. The oh, shoe yeah. won't give you, you know, oh, it's yeah, not a magic sure. shoe. No. Um, same as going barefoot. It's not just taking your shoes off isn't a magic cure. Yeah. I see a lot of people, um, like we live down here on the coast, that get around barefoot and, you know, you could sit there and go, that's great, people are getting barefoot more mm-hmm. um, or at the beach. But you watch the move and you can see there's an injury waiting it's to happen. dysfunctional, yeah. Right? So, it's it's that key that Dom just made is that you need to, you know, progressively work on that technique, build up the resilience and the, um, you know, let your body adjust to being in that barefoot state or barefoot shoe state before you progress to be uh, you know, yeah. Like yeah. harder moves. Before you wreck yourself. <laughs> you check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's right. Is that the motto of this podcast today? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it kind of, it then after feeling that and perfecting my technique and then knowing that I was going to go bigger, it then got me thinking more about the stability because when I put those shoes on and I was doing that, even though I had deloaded a lot, I was getting like a constant clicking in my ankle. Now, what's going on? And little did I know is my foot slowly adjusting to a new, or let's say back to the proper halfway mm. where it should be moving. And then it got me thinking, um, I started getting into more aspects of like um, standing one foot on a BOSU ball and balancing and then trying to get it strong in every like motion, mm. doing a lot of plyometrics with twists and turns and things like that. Yeah. And just getting my joints comfortable in, I guess... I would say for me, like a mistake. So being strong, even in the mistake uh, range. Mm. So if I was to go into a movement and accidentally twist to one side or load one side, I've already kind of trained that as a mistake, but become strong in that so I can just bounce out of it. Yeah. You'll look so at- It's not the joints you're actually training, it's the, it's the muscles and tendons to fire quicker. Yeah, and proprioception there. Yeah, 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 to create faster stability, which is what's gonna save you, save you bacon. Yeah, right. yeah, because you'll see some guys like some of the guys that are actually professional parkour athletes. So now I just do it as a site here and there with social media. It's like one of my hobbies. But professional is always calisthenic. But if you look at the true guys that have spent like 15 years or more now dedicating to the proper movement of their feet, you'll see them do like a 20 a foot jump, land on the edge of this tiny like ledge, and you'll see their ankles will go past, I mean, way beyond the average or normal amount of dorsiflexion mm. and then snap back straight into place. Yeah. And they wouldn't have felt a thing. It's just that reactive. Yeah. And that's crazy. what it's about, right? Yeah. And again, that's the extreme. But for a day today, you know, just even walking around, whatever it is, it's that timing of muscles, tendons, you know, nerves firing fast and, the, you know, in the right balance. That's what stops like major injuries yeah. from you know the stuff you're doing but it stops those niggles it stops those yeah. little kind of silly injuries we get um, that just shouldn't happen you know like stepping off a gutter um, and so just mistiming it that sort of stuff we should have the proprioception I hate that speed. feeling though it's a crap kind of getting happy even though it's just stepping off a gutter you're like oh shit you get that little flick right it's horrible <laughs> but it's like those little things that's kind of like oh really like you know yeah. That if you're, you're fast at reacting and you, you have, because our feet are the one, unless you're crawling or doing handstands or, mm-hmm. um, you know, flipping through the air, if you're walking and doing things on your feet, your feet are the one thing that's giving your brain feedback to what's happening underneath you. So you need those couple of hundred thousand nerve endings in your feet to fire super fast. Yeah. So all that stuff you're doing on the BOSU ball and that, that's it's keeping getting engaged, those right? nerve endings. Firing fast to give your brain that, that feedback to keep you so greater reaction as faster well. reaction yeah, yeah. yeah. so you, you know, neuroplasticity so you you're building those reaction times which is you know, what gives yeah. you those those bigger jumps and things because so, you can recruit more muscles and tendons faster right at a, at a better rate yeah, yeah. so I was going to ask you so, um, so when you when you're wearing let's say like thick thick shoes and you have excellent technique you'll see most of the parkour world they all wear kind of like thick, thick heel shoes, um, cushion and stuff, and it seemed to get on okay. Mm. But over time, are they losing more and more function of their feet, even though they they have the muscle memory from like the ankle upwards to absorb the landing and to keep doing what they're doing? Mm. But 
are they actually losing as they get older capacity to use their whole foot? They, they could be, yeah, for sure. Like, and I've seen a few of like the some crazy parkour guys on online, mm-hmm. um, and I guess for me, I don't know the actual answer, but in my thinking, it's like the answer is yes, right there. Unless they're training, you know, barefoot at the gym as well and trying to keep that, like, nerve reaction time fast, keep the – because the muscles will be strong. Yeah. But they're doing a lot of work. Yeah. So, as long as the – if they're in really supportive shoes all the time, then they're going to be putting a buffer between their feet and their brain. So, things will more than likely change. Um, They've probably built up enough technique through the rest of their body to get away with it. But, yeah, there is still a huge chance if they're not fast enough and strong enough through the foot that they'll end up with a major injury when they misjudge it, you know. Once they get bigger. Yeah, do a big jump and they, or they just miss that landing, you know, they're kind of on the edge of it and if they were barefoot, they might have enough reaction to just kind of like grip on enough. Yeah. In a shoe, they might not. The other thing with shoes with like, um, like a thicker sole, a lot of them have a, a almost like a right angle of the sole. Mm-hmm. So there's this tipping point that if you like land just on that wrong side of that tipping point, you're going to do your ankle. You've got no, nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Where if your foot's, well, your foot's rounded, there's more chance and more nerves are going to feel mm-hmm. that roll that you probably still sprain it. To like put that power. Yeah. Through, right? yeah. You know, you probably still sprain it. But I'd imagine it wouldn't be as, as bad because yeah. you'll have muscles trying to recruit and fire. Um, the only other thing is there's been some studies around ground reaction force in cushion shoes that you well, you extend your stride when there's a shoe in your foot. Um, so when you're running, you're, you're putting more force through your body. So over time, it will affect your technique. And that might be gradual, but again, over time, it's, it's more than likely to affect you in a negative way. Right. But it's funny. It's like nutrition, right? Like, you know, all the science behind it and, and, and feet are similar in that someone could be in the worst shoes, um, even have poor technique, but just get away with it. They just yeah. don't have an issue. Like those freaks. Yeah. Those outliers. It's like outliers, the nutrition, yeah. right? Or they could just have the worst diets. Um, just they still look like a god and perform that one, yeah. But just don't have any health issues, you know. They just somehow like hide it well, yeah. yeah. Where other people might be eating really well and just have one little thing out, and it just brings them down. Like, so it's it's a hard like shoes is a hard one, and I'm finding it harder and harder. Like I know spending time barefoot and training barefoot is the key. It's getting that feedback in. That's that's funny you say that actually as well. Um, a little experience. So, I used to um, I started Olympic lifting, mm. and it gave me. I started it mostly because of the tremendous gains I had in jump, and I'm all about my jumps. And uh, I started wearing the Olympic lifting shoes, which you know, you're probably like disgusted by the look and feel of them because they're huge platform, yeah. wood in the bottom, very stiff. You're like wearing high heels for men, right? But they do keep your body more upright for the specific sport. And we take them off. And even most of the athletes, they know that you take them off in between and they're not ideal for your posture, shortening, obviously, of the Achilles. But, um, yeah, they they were good. So, I was getting really good lifts with them. But when I would squat my maximum, I could never do it in those shoes. I was always weaker. As soon as I took them off and went barefoot, I could add 20 kilos onto the bar and squat deeper and heavier barefoot it's like yeah. i could feel the energy through the ground you know ground ball, right? so yeah that was that was but a cool experience well, like having a your heel raised it's it can change like your center of gravity mm-hmm. um it can affect your hip position so again some people will do better in a heel Especially if there's a range of motion issue, because yeah, they can, yeah, yeah, they can sort of not cheat because it's not cheating, but it's they're 
masking some dysfunction. Yeah. Well, I kind of say cheating because I think cheating is good because you see a lot of bodybuilders just putting them off a leg day and they're not doing any Olympic lifting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah you're cheating, you're cheating yeah. some issues there. <laughs> so I guess to answer like your last question and then even with the lifting shoes, if there's if you need a shoe to help you serve a function, especially with this sport, like and I know they market, you know, different shoes for different sports, but if it gives you an advantage, so if the cushioning in a parkour shoe gives you that advantage that you can go that bit harder and land and not break bones in your feet, because let's face it, some of the lands like landing you would do isn't natural. <laughs> There's a lot of force. There's a lot of force going through your foot. So yeah, and same with lifting. Like if if putting a lifting shoe on for the purpose of getting your you know, for a comp or yeah. um, and it helps you like win that, then why wouldn't you? You know, like it's, it's that serves that purpose. Same as like I snowboard. Yeah. So I wear a snowboard boot because my barefoot shoes don't no, do the same job on my board, right? So there's things we need shoes for. Mm-hmm. But I think the big thing is do you have the capability to, to do that sport, whether it's lifting, parkour, um, getting into so for me it's like can I get into positions that I would need to on a snowboard barefoot and train that exactly yeah so that I can hold good positions I can um, if I'm doing a jump or something or, or spinning like you know can I do that with good core control hip control um, my feet in a good position they're not collapsing in everything's talking to each other it's as a yeah, movement chain without the shoes without, without burning the rest of the body and without like without any other help yeah. you know like so it's it may not be just shoes it might be um i don't know like any sort of aid can you do those positions and movements and make those shapes you need to make without help yeah you know That's and then people don't look at no but then sure. then you load that up and it's like well yeah if you're pushing really hard you know you can do it but you're going to use that little tool because it's going to help you yeah get that extra trick yeah, or yeah. win that comp or just feel a bit safer then like I don't see a problem with it. Yeah. It's just don't lose the ability. Don't live in them. And keep, yeah, don't yeah, rely on them. Rely on Use them yeah. as a, 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 a aid or a tool yeah. rather than using them as the only way you can do that yeah. thing. You know, I fully agree. Fully agree. Yeah. I mean, one one thing I do have a problem though that that question. Is, I used to be a skateboarder. Yeah. And I used to have skate shoes. Yeah. For that, I used to do all the tricks and stuff. And I messed up my feet because of those skate shoes. Mm. Um, my question is, yeah, okay, they provide all these functions. Let's forget about the heels and all of that stuff. Why is the toes so freaking narrow? Um, I don't know. Like, that's the weird it thing. Makes- what does the narrowing of the toe pocket of the shoe have to do with anything? Is it just aesthetic? Yeah, because there's no... It is actually the worst... Well, not the worst, but it's one of the horrible features of shoes. Yeah. Right, and I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why either. But it's, it's we've become we've right. become so conditioned to think that's normal. Like, I'll ask, you know, if I do um, workshops or even clients, you know, and I'm talking about shoes, I'll normally ask, like, what's the widest part of the shoe? And or where do you check, you know, if you that your shoe's wide enough? And everyone will say the ball of your foot. Yeah. So it's like, you know, how do you know if your shoe's wide enough? Oh, you check the ball of your foot. You go to a shoe shop. Where do they check? They check the ball of your foot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's wide enough. You've got room there. They don't check their toes. You look at a toddler's foot, tell me what the widest part is. It's their toes. Their toes, yeah. They're like, they like need the to sway, right? Yeah. yeah. And if you, like, you know, some of it's like a gripping function balance, but the wider your toes can get, you have a wider base of support for starters. Yeah. But it puts all the like the joints into their optimal position, and if um, things are in optimal positions, what do they do? The muscles fire quicker, they fire better, yeah. they hold things in place. Wow. As soon as you switch those muscles off because they're out of alignment, it sends really mixed signals to your brain that messes homeostasis up. That's probably why I'm all messed up <laughs> from your skate shoes. From my skate shoes, because like my my pinky toes, like I can feel like they're so weak, like they've been literally nearly been squished underneath my other toes. And like this, since putting the barefoot, they spread out more, and my toes are def- my uh, big toes definitely got stronger. But my little toe and like the tension, like if it has to do any like trigger pointing on the tops of my feet, it's always tense. 
because I, I just know that my toes haven't yet fully regained that stretch and uh, or control. I've got mates that can lift each individual toe. And I'm like, I've only got like three. <laughs> like, yeah. five. But yeah, still more definitely. than most of the world. Oh, really? Oh, All right. right. I want a medal. A lot of people <laughs> struggle to, to move their toes. Oh, yeah, just to lift their big toe. I'm doing Even just to, <laughs> yeah, to do that, like take your shoes off. Unless you're on the train on your way to work, then that's awkward. No, who but, cares? Yeah, it. do it, do it. <laughs> but feel it. Like, see if you can lift your big toe up, little toes down, and vice versa. Like, do you have any control over your big toe? But little toes are still important. Yeah. But big toe plays a huge function. Yeah, it takes that's up the center, right? It that's takes up space computer. in our brain, right? But there's actually like space in our brain dedicated to our big toe because it's the one thing that helps propel us forward. It gives huge like feedback to the glutes and that posterior chain because it triggers off that to all fire for propulsion, for like landing, like it's yeah. Yeah. So toes, you know. That's actually something I've uh, been dedicating more time on. It's like now I'm more intelligent about like when I do like uh, the strengthening of my calves. Obviously, they take a lot of a battering as well from the runs and the jumps mm. and absorption. But not only from the calves, it's like when I'm engaging my calves, it's making sure that I'm planting and engaging my toe properly as mm. well, along all the way up to my glutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been quite an interesting one now, focusing on that. And it's the connection, like you just said, right up to your glutes. Like it's because again, if you just strengthen your big toe, you'll have a strong big toe. And that's a cool party trick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can wiggle your toe around. That's great. But it needs to talk to your glutes. It needs to, you need to be able to anchor that toe whilst turning that whole posterior chain on yeah. or even moving that leg so that it's firing at the times you need it to, not just exactly. when you take your shoe off on the train. <laughs> it's not every time I'm watching an athlete, so I'm like watching where their ankles go as they're springing off, how much on the balls of their feet they are. Yeah. Is their knees collapsing in and things like that? I'm like, oh, I'm starting to see the little uh, secrets there. The- and it's timing. Like you watch these guys, like these, you know, top level athletes, whether they're running, jumping, I mean, look, there's always those freaks of nature that have terrible biomechanics um, and are great. There's a few tennis players that you see that there's, um, you're just like, oh, like you're going to break eventually Mm -hmm. because your your form's so, you know. Just using more power rather than anything. Yeah, rather than. It should be effortless. If you think of any sport, it's effortless once you use the right biomechanics. It should be. Yeah. Yeah. Same as in calisthenics. 100%. 100%. percent trying to hold a isometric movement like a planche or something like that. It's all about the mechanics of putting everything together yeah. and connecting the dots. If not, you're overstraining yourself and you'll never hold it for your true potential. It won't look good and you'll pop something eventually. Then why would you want to put more effort in than you have to? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if you so can be doing... hard enough, yeah. Yeah, it's hard enough. That's any sport. Like if you can make the sport easier by using better biomechanics or like nutrition, like if you can make yourself feel better... By yeah. eating the right foods that you're better, yeah, you, you're gonna you know, get more out of it. Yeah. 100%. So, why not try and move better? And we're so focused on fitness versus movement that it's like it's not even funny, like yeah. it should be. But you know what we say? We have a what we say is we have a nation of uh fit looking sick people 100%. So fit looking but sick inside, <laughs> yeah, sick movement, everything, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm at the point now with just everything I've learned from you know people I've been lucky enough to be mentored by and um, and just all the stuff I've learned through researching and trying on myself, I would rather be less fit but move well because I know then that I will move for longer for into older age with better balance, with more efficiency, with less aches and pains. Like there's no point being 80 and super fit but every movement hurts. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not interested in you that. Have a, you have a six pack, but you can't yeah. bend down to pick anything off the ground. That's yeah. right. Your back's blown out. Like, you can't go for a walk. Knees are destroyed. Yeah. yeah. So for me now, it's about trying to move better. Um, but I'm also in my late 30s, so I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to get into that. For you know, towards the hill, <laughs> I need to start thinking about longevity. I need longevity now, not fitness. I think it's because oh, you got kids, right? That's kids right. Thinking about longevity. Oh, they right? wear you down. They wear you down. <laughs> <laughs> but watching them move, it's like that's my goal. Mm-hmm. I want to get back to moving like my kids. Yeah. So you can move with them as they grow up, right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that it's more effortless because when they move and they jump off things or they, you know, it's effortless. They'll yeah. just do it. It's funny how many parents you see, like the kids running around the playground and they just sat on the bench looking bored out of their mind. <laughs> yeah. Now we're going to be there jumping, chasing them, yeah. going through the monkey bars still, yeah. Well, I'll still try and, we're at the park and they'll be doing crazy stuff that I can't 
dude. <laughs> I should be able to do, but... Just throwing themselves and rolling around or... Oh, whatever. They'll climb stuff. They jump off stuff that I'm like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, but whatever. Go for it. You'll learn. And they don't learn because they land it. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> but I'll make sure I'm at least, you know, I'll find something to balance on or walk across just so that I'm still working on yeah, simple, safe stimulus. things for me. But it gives me that stimulus that, you know, I can still stand there and watch them, but I'll just try and incorporate yeah, little things that... Walk. Yeah. yeah, you know, until they dare me to jump off stuff and then we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, I really appreciate this chat. This has been great. I've taken heaps away from you. I'm going to have to listen back to this multiple times to Google all those big words you said, especially in the nutrition section. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you're not already, I highly recommend jumping on and checking out Dom online, um, either at like, the website or on social media. Yeah, so most of my shenanigans are. Yeah, so what's your, um, where can we find you on, on social? So social, we get to see my daily stories and my posts revolving around nutrition and uh, holistic lifestyle is uh, origins.nutrition. So I generally do a mix up of um, some movements, showing some of my uh, crazy stuff that I get into, but also with uh, a bit of writing usually on what it is to live a good holistic lifestyle. And then I usually put stories and links to many results and studies for you to search. And obviously we'll be putting mm. some for you guys. Yeah. But uh, yeah, origins.nutrition on Instagram. Or if you want to know specifically more about me and the work I perform, it's originsofvitality.com. And if you're just looking for a different way of training, like if you just want to learn how to move in that more calisthenics way, Dom does online coaching. Yeah, yeah it's all online-based. Yeah. Unless you're passing through Bali and you want to train at the world-renowned uh, Nirvana Strength, I'm there to have uh, some giggles and a play, man. So yeah, yeah, so yeah, if you follow him as a minimum, but um, yeah, if you want that calisthenics style of training or to get some ideas of how you can even incorporate that into your current training, I'd highly recommend having a chat to Dom. He's a wealth of information. Um, yeah, and a top bloke, so. Oh, big respect. Appreciate that. Nah, you are. You, you, you know your stuff. It's really cool. And you're really cool at what you do with these, um, yeah, your, your Instagram. Um, it's, it's all for Insta. It's all just a show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to break oh, yourself for Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so thanks again, mate. Really appreciate it. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.